So as we come to this last message in our series, um, if you have been with us for the past eight weeks, I hope in many ways that this has been a challenge and encouragement to you. Um, Talking about evangelism sometimes is a little risky because people go to different places emotionally and spiritually. Sometimes people feel very excited and encouraged. Sometimes people feel um, maybe recognizing that I haven't been evangelizing like the Lord has called me and so some guilt can come in. But where, wherever you are, may be, I hope that you have found something uh, in these messages that has resonated with you. And so let's just sort of take stock of where some of you might be. I hope that some of you are pretty fired up. I hope over the past several weeks, talking about sharing the gospel has ignited a passion in you and excitement in you. And so you are sharing the gospel, you are seeing some fruit in relationships, and as you've talked about Jesus with others, and you are purposefully living uh, with this sense of gospel intentionality that you want to see people know Christ. And so you're fired up, you're excited, you have faith for this. Maybe some of you are a bit tired. Maybe you've jumped into this and you've committed yourself to sharing the gospel, and you are investing in relationships, and you are being faithful, yet it's been hard. It's been messy. And maybe you're not seeing fruit. You're not seeing people actually softening towards Jesus or coming to put their faith in Jesus. Maybe you're just seeing a lot of resistance and hardship in this. And so you're tired and you're struggling. Some of you, maybe you can't see past your pain. And so the the suffering you're experiencing or the, the sin struggles in your own heart or the brokenness that you're feeling, it hangs very heavy on you and they consume all of your emotional and spiritual energy. And so the thought of sharing the gospel seems very overwhelming to you. Please, Chris, don't ask me to do that. Some of you may be feeling guilty. You know you should be more evangelistic, but you're not. And so you live with a level of guilt. Some of you may be somewhat fearful fearful of talking with people or fearful of the resistance you might uh, experience, fearful of the cost that might come your way sharing the gospel. Maybe some of you feel so overwhelmed and just busy, you're like, how am I going to squeeze that into my schedule? Some of you just need to be challenged, meaning you aren't even thinking about sharing the gospel. You profess faith in Christ, but you're, you're just soaking in community. You love being in Christian community. You love kind of consuming the good aspects of church. But the thought of giving your life away that others may know Christ, that's kind of the furthest thing from your mind. There are other things occupying your time. You're focusing on other things. And so maybe you're either indifferent and cold or you're just not living in that space where you need to be intentional. But regardless of where you are, let's be honest about mission. It's a lot easier said than done. Amen? Sharing the gospel, sometimes we can talk about it hypothetically, but when we actually get into it, it's a lot easier said than done. Even if your heart is set on fire and you're excited and you're in a place of strength, it gets messy. But wherever you are in those categories, wherever you may find yourself this morning or over these past weeks, the solution, the message is the same for us all. What we all need to hear, what we all need to be encouraged in, we all need to be grounded in is the same. So several years back, uh, author Jerry Bridges wrote a book called The Bookends of the Christian Life. Some of you may have read this book. Small little book. I highly recommend it. It's a very, very good, helpful little book. And so what is the purpose of bookends? If we kind of think of the metaphor that Jerry Bridges uses, bookends support a row of books. If you have books on your desk or maybe have a bookshelf, you put them on either side to keep the books standing up. 
And what Jerry Bridges explains in his book is that the Christian life is held up by two realities, the finished work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is when we live in the good of these realities that the Christian is held upright and lives and walks according to the call on their life. It's when we lose sight of one of these two things that we can kind of get spiritually sideways and topple over. And here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're sort of borrowing this illustration from Jerry Bridges. We can see Christ gives us bookends, as it were, for mission. His authority and his presence. Christ's authority and presence are the twin truths that hold up our mission, no matter where we are, no matter how strong we feel, no matter how weak we feel, no matter guilty we feel, it is Christ's authority and his presence that sustain us and strengthen us and hold us up in our mission. And so if we consider all that we have discussed this summer concerning evangelism, so prayer and detangling the gospel from cultural myths and asking questions and serving one another and and fighting for justice, hospitality, being faithful even in our weakness, celebrating the gospel and inviting other people in, all of those aspects are held up and empowered and sustained by Christ's authority and presence. And so as we put a cap to this series on evangelism, I want us to bookend our thinking about evangelism. I want us to bookend how we live our lives on mission in this city to make disciples with these two things, Christ's authority and his presence. So let's first talk about Christ's authority. So in Matthew 18, 18, Christ makes a declaration All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is a declaration of triumph. Like his statement on the cross, it is finished. Christ is declaring his victorious triumph in his redemptive mission. He's saying this to his disciples. Look, I've won. I've accomplished the mission that the Father has given me. Redemption has been accomplished. It is secure. And as a result of my victory, God the Father has handed me all authority. Now, for those of you that profess faith in Christ, it may be easy to kind of gloss over this statement because we're thinking, it's Jesus. Of course he has authority. He's God the Son. There's nothing remarkable about this statement, so to speak. Yeah, it's kind of a, a no-brainer, right? But, but for a moment, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes here. What they had just experienced. They had just walked with Jesus for three years, watched him crucified and all the emotional sort of downgrade that that was, that our our rabbi, our master, our teacher, the one we put our hope in had been killed. Oh, nope, he's resurrected from the grave. Wow, awesome. What what, what What do we make of this? How do we make sense of this? How are we to understand who Jesus is fully? And so Jesus comes to them and says, hey, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me because of what I have accomplished. And so this, this is loaded. This, this, this statement is loaded. And so let's just take a moment to kind of unpack the, the implication here. So if you look throughout scripture, since the fall, God has been actively working in history to redeem a people. Since the sin of Adam and Eve, God has been working a plan to save people. And so everything in the Old Testament was anticipating this. From the call of Abraham, to to Israel being saved from Egypt, to Israel getting the law, to David being made king, to the building of the temple, to the prophecies of the coming Messiah, all of this was God slowly but surely revealing his ultimate plan to save. There were parts of God that was, it was slowly and intentionally unveiling this plan and, and, and revealing himself to the world and his people 
small step by small step, small reveal by small reveal, anticipation building, anticipation building. But then when Christ comes, the fullness of God's plan is revealed. No more small reveal. No more anticipation. Here is God in the flesh. Here is God on full display, fully revealing himself to the world. And so Christ lives this holy and perfect life, obedient and pleasing to God the Father in every way. He takes his sin upon himself, suffering both physical torture and separation from God. And the one who had been in perfect relationship with his father now is separated and made sin for you and I so that we can be made the righteousness of God. And the father, the one who loves his son from eternity, places sin on his son, turns his face and punishes him for you and me. And why does Jesus do this? Well, one, he does this to please his father, to fulfill the father's plan of salvation, to show that God the father is wise and loving and good. He wants his people, he wants us to see God the father is glorious and worthy of our worship. This is his amazing plan to save. But he also does it for you and me because he loves his people and wants to save them from their sin. And so what Jesus does here is he's putting the nature and character of God's plan on display. And in the death of Christ, we see sin and suffering and evil defeated. And then in his resurrection, Christ shows that the payment that he made cleared, the check cleared, so to speak. God accepts his, his sacrifice. And as his reward, Christ gets all authority. So what this means is this. It's not just abstract that Jesus is in authority. It's very easy for us to just sort of go, okay, Jesus is God, and so he has all authority. But Jesus actually steps into history and does something to put his authority on display. He steps into history and proves, hey, all this authority that I have been given is not just in name only. It is real because I have done something real in history. I have defeated sin. I have accomplished the plan of salvation. I have shown that sin and death and hell do not have the final word. And so for Christ to say, I have all authority, is something that is real and tangible. And so in a manner of speaking, he's earned this authority. Not that this authority didn't belong to him before, but he has done something real and tangible to say, look, you can't just second guess. You can't just say, well, what kind of authority do you have? Prove that to me. He proved it. He put it on display. And so for the disciples to understand what Jesus has just done, they're saying, hey, something really happened that says, yes, Christ has all authority. He's proved it. He's earned it. He's accomplished it. And so Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make other disciples, not with an abstract sense of an authority, but with a sense that history has really changed, that Jesus has done something to show that he has all authority. And he sends them into a culture with lots of authorities, whether the religious authorities or those in governmental control. But he's sending them into a world with a lot of authorities that are going to say, hey, don't talk about Jesus. Hey, your message of Jesus isn't true. It's false. You're, you're speaking lies. There's no power in the name of Christ. And they're going to ridicule and mock them and ultimately try to kill them. And some of these disciples do die. And so there was many authorities out there, many voices out there trying to discourage and tell these disciples, hey, you have no right to speak this way. Your message is not true. 
But Jesus says, no, no matter what those authorities tell you, remember, all authority has been given to me. So when I commission you, my word stands. My authority stands above all. The message I give to you is true. It's not the message of the religious leaders. It's not the message of pagan Roman culture. It's the message I give to you. That's authoritative. That is what is true. And it's the same for you and me. When we go and live on mission, when we go and share the gospel, we do, uh, do so under the authority of Christ. We do so under a resurrected and reigning king who has stepped into history and shown he has all authority. This is not empty. This is not abstract. This is not philosophy. This is real. This is something that has actually happened. And so the message that you and I carry into this world has real authority. And so the one who is victorious and now stands in authority sends you into this world to declare his victory and his authority. And so we need not fear. As we sang this morning, we need not fear. We need not fear our own sin and suffering. We need not fear people or authorities who would oppose the gospel. We need not fear ridicule or being made the butt of a joke. We need not fear the consequences, either relationally or professionally. Because church... It is not the authority of who's in the White House. It's not the authority of who controls Congress. It's not the authority of whether our country is Christian or not that gives our evangelism confidence. It is the authority of Christ. And guess what? No one's going into heaven and pulling him off his throne. The glorious truth is that authority is Christ's forever. And it's under that good authority that we go into this world and share the gospel. And so church, let us be propped up. Let us be held up. Let us be sustained. Let us be encouraged by the fact that all authority is Christ's. And not only his authority, but also his presence. Christ did not just leave us his authority and say, hey, go evangelize. And the disciples are thinking, wow, That's great and all, Jesus. I know you have all authority, but how am I going to do this? What is going to guarantee that any of this is going to work? Well, he gives them his presence. Jesus is going to be with them every step of the way. And so his good authority gives them the strength and gives them the means, but then his presence is going to empower them and sustain them. In verse 20, this is what Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, meaning every step of the way to the end. There's no point in which I'm going to back out. My presence is going to leave you. I'm no longer going to be with you. It's no matter where you go, no matter how far you go, till the end, until all things have been accomplished, I'm going to be with you. And so First City Church, we must never lose sight of the fact that Christ is with us. His presence is with us as we go into our jobs and into our families and into our neighborhoods and into the gym and into the restaurants and into the grocery store and into the parks. His presence is with us every step of the way as we are sharing the gospel. It's a glorious promise because it means we're never alone. No matter how alone we may feel, no matter how strange and odd we may feel, no matter how awkward things may get, in that moment you are not alone because the presence of Christ is with you. And this is what is beautiful about God's presence. This is what makes us the church. We are not the church. First City Church does not exist because a group of us a little over a year and a half ago decided, hey, it'd be really cool to meet on Sunday mornings at Bellevue West. 
We are not the church because of our own skill set or our own intellect or our own apologetic methods. We're the church because Christ himself has called us out of our sin and our rebellion and made us transformed new people. And he's called us together to love him and worship him and to love one another and serve one another. It's the spirit of God that is present right now that makes us the church. And so this is our great hope. This is our great promise. This is what Jesus has given us, given to us. And because the presence of God is with us, we have hope that Jesus is building his church. We have hope that it is not our strength that is sustaining First City. It is not our strength and our goodness and our ability that is blessing this church. If this church, Lord willing, lasts 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, that's because of the Spirit of God. And so we put our hope there. We put our trust there. And the fact that he has promised his presence to us means that we can rest in this. And so as you are developing a a friendship with a neighbor or a coworker, when you are entering into the world of a person that is full of sin and mess and suffering and pain, the frustration and uncertainty that comes with that, if you're wrestling with the frustration in your own life, know this, the presence of Christ is with you. And that's your hope. That's your power. And he will not leave you. And this is not something you have to go out and find. It's not as if, hey, I need to go find the presence of Christ. I need to go get more of the presence of Christ. It's no, he is giving that all to you. It's a matter of how much are you leaning into that. And so the hope is Christ has given his all to you. Are you receiving that? Are you resting in that? Are you trusting in that? God is not stingy with his promises. God doesn't just give us a little bit and say, hey, you gotta go find the rest. It's no, here is all of me. Lean into that. That is our hope with the presence of Christ. And because we have the authority and the presence, go, therefore. With these bookends, Jesus sends his disciples to share the gospel. In verses 19 and 20, he says this, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Because Christ is in authority, go. Because he has given you his presence, go. And the nature of this going, we we can understand this by unpacking somewhat this statement and how Jesus frames this. So if we look at this, this commission, in the English translations, we get a simple go as a command. And this is true. In, in the text, we, this carries the weight of command. If you follow Jesus Christ, there is a command, there is a commission on your life to go and preach the gospel. But the literal translation, while it is a command, if we were to translate this literally from the Greek, it would come out more as you go or in your going, make disciples, share the gospel. And so why this is important for us is because the scope of go is as far as you and I go. It's as far as our going. And so it's not limited to just the missionary who packs up and goes. It's not limited to just the pastor who goes. It's not limited just to the church planter who goes. It's as you go, in your going, for all of us. So this command And the authority and the presence of Christ carry over no matter where your feet go. And the beauty of that is when you're at home, as you go. When you are at the park, as you go. When you are in a 
grocery store or a restaurant, as you go, when you are having people in your home, when you are going into other people's homes, it's as you go. When you're in your job, as you go. There's no space that as you go does not encompass. And so for us as disciples, this going takes us to every inch of our life. It is a byproduct of who we are and how we live. This is our identity as disciples of Jesus. And so whether you are a teenager or a kid living at home, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a dad working to bring home uh, support for your family, whether you are over at a friend's house, whether you are hanging out at the park, whether you are a student, I don't care. We can just go down the list of categories of who you are and how you live and where you go. This applies. And so that also should mean something for us. It means that evangelism is not compartmentalized. We don't do our evangelism thing over here and then we step into the real world. It's everywhere. And so if we're thinking, how can I squeeze evangelism into my schedule? I have so many other things to do. You're still compartmentalizing things. It's not squeezing it into your schedule. It is your schedule. It encompasses everything. Jesus' authority and his presence are with you in all those things. And he calls you, hey, share the gospel. Make disciples wherever you go. And here's also the beauty of what Jesus tells us here. This go and make disciples encompasses both, hey, go share the gospel and make disciples. Multiply them. Those who don't know Jesus, go share the gospel with them that they may come and know Christ. But it also says build them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And so here's what Jesus does. He puts multiplying disciples and building disciples not in two separate categories, but right together. It's all a continuum. So if you are sharing the gospel with someone who does not know Christ, what are you doing? You are discipling them. You are getting them to follow Jesus. You're, you're teaching them about Jesus. You're calling them to follow Jesus and obey Christ. If you're engaging someone who knows Jesus and you're wanting them to grow, what are you doing? You're discipling them. So the whole thing is discipleship. It's just depending on where a person is in their walk with Christ. So what does this mean for us, church? It means that we never separate mission and community. We never separate what we do as far as mission with what we do as part of the body of Christ. This is why our gospel communities are open to non-Christians. This is why our gospel communities are open to whoever we want to invite in. There's no compartmentalization, and it's the same thing with your life. We don't compartmentalize our Christian time and our time with non-Christians. And right here, Jesus is laying out that model for us. And so our going is a mesh of community and mission, encompassing all of our life. So as you tell your friend or family member or coworker that does not know Christ, disciple them. As you engage people in gospel community that know Jesus, disciple them and bring those things together. Now, we have to regularly remind ourselves this because it's very easy to compartmentalize. I do this in my own life. It's very easy for us to separate these things out. So that's why we talk about this a lot. This isn't the first time I've stood on a Sunday morning and said this to you all. But we have to consistently remind ourselves these things because it's very easy for us to compartmentalize. But with the authority of Christ and the presence of Christ, these two things we do together. So, in your going, as you go, Who are those the Lord is calling you to share the gospel with? And what does it look like to bring them into community? 
Start small and simple. As you've been contemplating evangelism over the past several weeks, who is the one person or the one couple that Christ is calling you to reach out to? And you don't need to look far. Look at your life right now. Look at those that you're regularly engaging in your job, in your neighborhood, at the park, at the gym. Who are those that Jesus has brought already into your life to share the gospel with? Be faithful to that. Don't get overwhelmed with the numbers. Oh, there's so many people that I need to go talk to Jesus about. No, focus. I talked about this before too. Force multiplier. If all of us commit to just one person, that's well over 100, close to 150 people evangelizing. And if even half of those people came to know Christ, we would be rejoicing that revival broke out. If even a fourth of those people came to know Christ, we would be rejoicing that revival broke out. That's forced multiplication. That's just one person. And so who is that one person Christ has called you to commit to, to share the gospel? But it starts, being, it starts with being intentional as you go. So you who are fired up, be bold, not in your own strategies, not in your own intellect, not in your own apologetic knowledge, but that the fact that the authority and presence of Christ are with you and sustain you. For those of you who are tired, Christ has promised to save, and his authority guarantees that nothing can overcome his saving work. Trust that he is faithful and mighty to save. And when you feel you are tired and that there's no fruits and it is just messy, run to his presence for comfort. Put your hope and your trust there and be refreshed. You who can't see past your pain, as we have talked about in the previous weeks, let the trials and difficulties and pain drive you to Christ and seek his presence. And let the testimony of his power and faithfulness to you in your pain be a message that you share with this world that so desperately needs salvation and redemption. You who feel guilty and are fearful, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't call you to share the gospel out of condemnation and guilt and to burden you with something to weigh you down. He's calling you into a deeper and more full life found in him. And you who are fearful, you need fear no man's judgment, no man's arguments. You don't need to fear looking silly or stupid. You walk, you walk in the authority of the risen and resurrected and reigning king. And there is no authority that can tell you to shut your mouth. There is no authority that can stop you from sharing the gospel. There is no authority that can limit the power of God in your life. Because all authority belongs to Christ. And you who need to be challenged. I say this very lovingly. But how small has Christ's redemptive work become to you? How, how has it come to a place in your life where what Jesus has done for you and what he has done to save this world been boxed up and kind of tucked away into the corner of your heart and where other things seem more glorious and more important and more vital? How, how has it that Jesus' grace and his love and his mercy for you and his grace and his love and his mercy for all of those that are broken and sinful and rebellious become so small to you that you're indifferent to that. I don't ask this to heap guilt. I ask this to say, hey, take stock of your heart. 
What has happened? Why have you grown cold? Then I would say, spend time remembering what Jesus has done. Remember how he came and saved you and rescued you and pulled you out of your sin and your rebellion. How he is with you and sustains you and cares for you and loves you even now. And take a look at what he has done in the lives of so many. Read in the scriptures, go to the scriptures to see God's great redemptive plan played out and accomplished in Jesus in history. But your heart needs to be stirred. Your heart needs to be open to the deeper and greater truth. And in some ways, we're all here. In some ways, our hearts grow cold. We're all in danger of this happening if we're not careful. And so I say this to us all. What does it mean for us to regularly go back to see what Jesus has done for us and accomplished in history in his great plan of redemption that's going to set our heart on fire to share the gospel with others? Let's consistently be reminded of what Jesus has done. Let's be consistently reminded of his authority and presence and let those things be preeminent in our life. And so church, Christ has all authority because he is king. Christ's presence is with us every step, everywhere we go. He has called us to take the gospel to every corner of this world, every step that we take in this world. So no matter where Jesus takes your feet, he's called you to go and make disciples. And so church, with his authority and his presence as our book ends, and this great commission given to us, let's be a church that is faithful to share the gospel and make disciples. Amen.